The theme about this morning is learning to care like God cares. So learning to care about, about people and other things like God cares. Mute the music, and then I want to invite everybody to stand up, and we're going to read from Psalm 67 to start our service together. So go ahead and stand up. We're going to read this out loud together. And this, uh, this passage uh, has been on my heart this week. It's about God's love for the nations, about caring for the nations. And so we're going to read this together. So would you read with me? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Join me in prayer and then we're going to sing together. Father, we pray together that all the ends of the earth would learn to fear you and love you. May the earth be filled with knowledge of the Lord. There's a beautiful, um, that beautiful declaration in Habakkuk that says the glory of the, earth, the Lord will fill the earth as waters fill the seas. Um, Lord, we long for that day. We long for your glory and your blessing to fill not only our lives individually, but the whole earth. And Father, I pray that today through your word and through our singing, through our fellowship together, that we would learn to care about the things that you care about. And so we pray this and sing in Jesus' name. Amen. In this bowl of fruit, see a fruit that you don't care for that much. Which, which one? Papaya. Is he? Oh, Nancy, what? You don't care for mangoes? You care about the orange? Yeah, oranges are yummy. I, I, you know, I'm the exact opposite of Nancy. I think mangoes are the greatest thing on earth, and papayas are not my favorite. Um, how do you care about something that you don't care about? How do you learn to care about something that you don't care about? What's that? You find the value in it? That's great, yeah. So how do you learn the value of something? You you think about it, right? You read about it, you talk about it. I think we talk about the things we love, right? Yeah. We learn to care for things by thinking about them, by reading about them, by finding the value in it, by spending money um, in that direction, and uh, by, by learning to care about it. So who, now I want you to think about people. Don't answer this out loud. This is just for you and the Lord. Who is the hardest type of person for you to care about? And this can be like a general, you know, like grouchy people are hard for me to care about. Or it can be like, more specific. Who are the hardest people for you to care about? 
we all have, we all have this, right? We all have people that it's harder. <laughs> it's more difficult for us to love them for various reasons. Maybe they rub us the wrong way or perhaps we don't understand their culture. We don't value their culture or they scare us because they look different or act different. Does Jesus care about that person? Of course, all of us are in here and we believe we're in here probably in this sanctuary because we believe that Jesus has saved us and cares about us. Yes, of course, Jesus cares about even the people that we have the hardest time caring about. Which leads me to the passage we're going to be looking at, 1 John 2. And really, the entire sermon is going to be the first two verses, but I'll read verses 1 to 6. Last week, we began our series in 1 John, and we covered the uh, chapter 1, and we looked at this idea that uh, John said, anyone who says that they don't have sin is deceiving themselves. They're lying to themselves. And then he says, anyone who says they're without sin is calling God a liar. Because God has said that all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But he says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And through the sacrifice of Christ, able to forgive us completely. And so we looked at three things that confession does. It restores us in relationship to one another. It causes us to think a different way. It reorients our our worldview And it disarms the power of the enemy because his main job against Christians is accusation. That is the number one thing that Satan can do to to come against us is to accuse us. So this is where we pick up in 1 John 2. Let's pray and invite the Lord to speak through his word. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. And as we look at this, just for a few minutes this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to illuminate it and speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in chapter one, John said, we are writing these things. He uses the plural. We are writing these things to tell you about Jesus. We are telling you about the light. Now in chapter two, he switches and he gets very personal. All of a sudden, without any reason that we can see, he switches from we to I. And he says, my little children. So he's speaking as a father. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if, anyone, hi. but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right, let's look at a couple things in this. So I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So does that mean because we've heard these words, we'll never sin again? No, of course not. He just said, anyone who says they're without sin is deceiving themselves and calling God a liar. So what's he mean by this statement? I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I think he's, he's saying, I'm writing these things to help you to walk through life, to live a life of righteousness, to seek to live a life of righteousness apart from sin. But then he says, if anyone does sin, which he assured us in chapter one, we do. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. What's an advocate? Anybody know what an advocate is? Coach, do you know what an advocate is? No? Someone who stands up for you. So if Satan's main tactic against Christians is accusation, what is Jesus's role at the hand of the Father? To stand up for us. It's sort of like coming in the exact opposite spirit, right? 
Satan would look at us and say, look how bad he is. Look how much she's messed up. Look at what they've done. They're not living up to who they're meant to be. Accusation, accusation, accusation. But Jesus is an advocate, meaning he's at the hand of the Father saying, have you seen my child who I love? Have you seen my child? It's amazing. That's so amazing. So right now, Hannah, Jesus is advocating for you. Right now, he's advocating for you. Right now, Mr. Tony, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father advocating for you. What a gift for each of us. Each of us can say that. God, your son is advocating for me. So even if we sin, which we do, Jesus is advocating for us to the Father. Now it says Jesus Christ the righteous. Who else in the New Testament is called the advocate? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said that it's better if I leave so that the Father can send the Spirit, the advocate, the counselor. And so not only is Jesus advocating for us at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is within us advocating, teaching us how to live a life of righteousness. Verse 2, he is the propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. That's a fun word, isn't it? He is the propitiation. Now that's like a, a 10 cent theological word that what it means is what I put in the brackets there. He is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the one who paid the price. He's the one who paid the price for our sins. He made it right. He atoned for it. He cleansed our uncleanliness. So Jesus is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for who? What's it say? For the sins of the whole world. So not only is Jesus advocating for Hannah and Mr. Tony, he's advocating for the sins of the entire world. In another place in the scriptures it says, I desire that none should perish. None one. Then it says, and... I'm going to read these verses quickly. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. God has a love for the nations. Jesus not only died the atoning sacrifice for individuals, for you and me, where we can say that, which we can, he died for the whole world to seek and save the lost. God has a love for the nations. Everybody say, God loves the nations. God loves the nations. This is why we started our service with Psalm 67, where it says, may your ways be known throughout the earth your saving power among peoples everywhere. I wonder if John was meditating on this psalm. He wrote this, Jesus not only is the propitiation for you and I, but the sins of the whole earth. May your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among peoples everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy. Let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. Now listen to this. In, in the modern world, and in human history, 
nation states are always playing this zero-sum game with one another. This is why we have trade wars. The less another country has, the more that we can exact from them, the better off that we are. And so, so much of wealth in the modern world is built upon the poverty of other people. So much of the wealth that we have in America is because other people are poor. This is why there's sweatshops. This is why there's child labor. This is why there's slavery. This is why... This is the way that wealth often works in, in human history. And this has been the, the way that it, it's been since the fall. But listen to these verses. This is the antithesis of how it is in the kingdom of God. Now this is an Israelite writing this before the time of Jesus. And he says this in verse 5. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvest and God, our God, will richly bless who? Us. In the kingdom of God, it's not a zero-sum game where the less you have, the more I have, the better I am with the worse you off. If that makes sense. In the kingdom of God, it's the more that Mr. Tony walks with Jesus, the more Kristen receives blessing. And the more Reed learns about the ways of Jesus, the more that Terry is open. It's, it's this way that the more that we walk with Jesus, the more blessing we receive, the more blessing flows. May the earth be filled with the glory of the Lord as waters fill the sea. How do waters fill the sea? Waters are the sea. The glory of the Lord fill the earth as waters fill the sea. This is the way the kingdom works. The more that God blesses the nations, the more that God blesses your neighbor, the more that he pours out his spirit on those around you, the more that people walk with him in the light, the more that the light shines within us and the more we receive. Then the earth will yield its harvest and God our God will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us and people all over the world will fear him. This also reminds me where Paul says all of creation is groaning and longing in expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Because when the children of God are revealed in the image of their creator, Jesus Christ, and live like him, the earth is brought to a place of rest and peace and wholeness. And God has not only sent us to the nations, but we live in a time and a place where God has sent the nations to us. For three years, Julie and I lived in Upper Darby, which if you're familiar with Upper Darby, it's just down the road, a few miles down the road from here towards Philadelphia. Upper Darby High School at the time was the single most diverse high school in the United States of America. More languages spoken Upper Darby High School than any other high school in America. Incredibly diverse. You can meet people from every place on earth in Upper Darby. Hindus and Sikhs and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians and Indians, all from all over the earth, Africa, Asia, Europe, all gathered in this one place. This is our back door. That's right down the road from here. God has sent the nations to us. This incredible time where we can, just by living our lives faithfully to Jesus Christ, be a testimony, be a witness to people from all over the earth. In fact, one of the most effective strategies of reaching unreached people groups right now is to reach them in America versus trying to reach them overseas because they'll take it back with them. It's incredible. It's an incredible gift. And every post you put on social media doesn't stay in your neighborhood. Guess where it goes? Everywhere. We've got to be so careful about how we present ourselves and how we speak and the way that we do it. 
Listen, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. This next quote is from John Stott, the famous theologian. And listen to what he says about God's love for the nations. The nations are not gathered in automatically. It doesn't happen automatically that people come to know Jesus. There's mission and intention behind it. The nations are not gathered in automatically. If God has promised to bless all the families of the earth, he has promised to do so through Abraham's seed. Now we are Abraham's seed by faith, and the earth's families will be blessed only if we go to them with the gospel. That is God's plain purpose. I pray that these words, all the families of the earth, may be written on our hearts. It is this expression more than any other which reveals the living God of the Bible to be a missionary God. It is this expression too which condemns all our petty parochialism and narrow nationalism, our racial pride, our condescending paternalism, and our arrogant imperialism. In other words, it is not okay for us to bless missionaries and say, we'll give you money to go reach Muslims across the world and then to ignore the Muslims that live down the street from us. That is hypocrisy. And it is sin and it is from the pit of hell. God has sent all peoples to this nation that we live in. And that is a gift from God. And no matter how different the people are that we interact with, how uncomfortable we may be. It is a gift because our greatest allegiance is not to America, it's to the kingdom of God. And we are first and foremost and always citizens of heaven. Now listen to this. This this strikes me to the core when John Stott says this. How dare we adopt a hostile or scornful or even indifferent attitude to any person of another color or culture if our God is the God of all families of the earth. We need to become global Christians with a global vision for we have a global God. Now both within myself and with the people I interact with as a pastor, sometimes but rarely do I encounter open outright hostility or scornfulness towards other people. That's pretty rare. I do, I do encounter that from time to time and I try to address it when I, when I hear that. It is much more common, both in myself and with the people that I interact with, not to encounter direct hostility, but indifference. Indifference. Indifference is the cancer of the church. Indifference is the cancer of our bones in our soul, in our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. Indifference is what rots us. It's where you're not blatantly against another people. You're not blatantly anti your neighbor. But indifference means you don't care. That's what indifference means. How dare we adopt, he says, a hostile, scornful, or indifferent attitude to any person. The simple definition of indifference is having no particular interest or sympathy, unconcerned. This is what most scares me about the 21st century American Christian. If I would put my finger on one thing, you know, consumerism is a big deal in the church. And, and the, the havoc that consumerism is, is causing, the materialism. Um, 
deconstruction of, of biblical authority is a huge concern in the church. But underneath, I think, even underneath that is indifference. This insidious, cancerous thing within us that would cause us not to burn with fire for God and burn with fire for the people of God and people who are different than us and give our lives for them because God loves them. In Romans 5, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, it says this, while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still far off, while we were still against him, while we were still scorning him, hostile towards him, shouting crucify him, he died for us. Which is the exact opposite of indifference. It is the advocate the one who advocates, the one who steps in the gap, the one who gave himself on our behalf. While we were still enemies of God, Jesus was neither hostile hostile nor scornful nor indifferent towards us. So I read this one last time. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not ours only, also for the sins of the whole world. To leave us with a point of application to take from here. This is really good news, and I know this was a little bit of a heavy uh, challenge. But what I want to encourage us is to actually identify someone in your life that you interact with that you feel indifference towards, and then invite the Lord to change your heart. And you can take practical steps towards changing that indifference. You can write them a card, you can give them a call. You can reach out and learn something new about them. And I'm not saying it's easy because this may be a person who's hostile towards you. I've also found in my own life when I feel indifference towards someone else, I can usually directly trace it back to an indifference I have towards God. Because when I'm burning for God, I burn for his image in others. When I am indifferent and cold towards God, I find that I'm often indifferent and cold towards others. And so I invite people of God, I'm inviting myself this morning, I'm challenging myself, challenging you. Let us not be people of indifference, but people who love the world as Jesus loved the world. He gave himself for it. He gave himself for you. Let's pray, and we're gonna close our time singing. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this picture of fruit that Miss Nancy brought us this morning. I love fruit. I'm a big fan of fruit. And uh, I look at that bowl and I, I just think of all the beauty that's in there. And that's a bowl of fruit that withers and dies and is here today, gone tomorrow. How much more do you love people? How much more do you love people? And um, it can be hard, God, to love like you love, but you loved us while we were still sinners. While we were your enemies, you loved us and died for us. May we be a people here at Parker Ford Church. May we be a people, your church across the world, that love you and love others like you do. We thank you for your example. You've set us free um, because, because of your love for us. You advocate for us. You paid for us. And we belong to you. And we love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. So in the great commission, when Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all, what's the word he uses there? 
nations, all right, this isn't geopolitical states like the nation of Brazil or the nation of the United States of America or Canada. The word there is ethnos, which means every tribe, tongue, people group. So when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he's saying, go and make disciples of every people group because our God loves the whole world. And all of us in here are Gentiles, so thank God for that. Amen. That <laughs> God has a love for us, and he has a love for those who are different than us and look different than us. Kids, you did a great job. Well done, children. Thanks for joining us and uh, flowing with it. It was so good. Uh, thanks for those who served this morning throughout the morning. It's really good to be back together. You're welcome to fellowship and hang out. The first, uh, first service hung out for a while. Um, we'd ask you to do so outside uh, so we can clean up in here. And now that we're in green, you're welcome to kind of hang out and, and fellowship, respecting those uh, social distancing. Go with God, be blessed. And uh, stay tuned to your emails as we continue to adjust week by week to what's going on. We're going to be sending out a survey at some point over the next week just uh, asking for feedback about what's working um, and what we could do better. So uh, please give us your input. All right, thanks guys. Go with God.